HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash beer sessions. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here at Beer Sessions Radio. It's Tuesday, May 26th. We're doing a special recording during the time of COVID. And we'll be talking about the number one hope project of 2020, as I see it, the All Together Beer Project put out there by Other Half NYC, in which over 800 breweries around the world have participated in. And we're going to go around and introduce our guests. First, we're going to have uh, Yerez from Other Half say hello. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Jared from Other Half Brewing, general manager. Jared, you, and you've been the one to kind of keep track of all. Tell us what you've done, because I, I, I'm amazed you're taking photos of so many of these beers. Just tell us the impact of this project for you guys and how it got started. So we, we basically wanted to focus on on like our our hospitality side where like you know we we have our beers in a lot of restaurants we wanted to do a project where every single person and like is affected you know so it's like we wanted to make sure that they like we could help out the best way we can and we found out that we could probably do this project we made it like an open source project for breweries we didn't think that we'll get 800 and 10 different breweries, uh, coffee, roasters, uh, mead, meaderies, and wineries to get to take part of this, which is pretty amazing. No, it's, it's amazing. And uh, I knew about it because I've, I've had some of, I've had the threes, the KCBC, and the Finback so far of the All Together series. But Nico, uh, Nico wrote about this in uh, Good Beer Hunting. So Nico, just tell us about how you found that story and uh, your perspective on this wonderful project. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, guys. This is uh, Nico Kermitis. I write for Beer Hunt, uh, Good Beer Hunting, and they have a series called their B-Roll series, which documents you know moments of various kinds in the beer industry. And you know, since the pandemic, they've largely shifted that series to focus on 
breweries affected by and you know basically how breweries are affected by and also how they're adapting uh to the COVID-19 crisis so obviously you know I'm in New York City and a lot of the New York City area breweries have produced their own versions of the altogether beer and you know as a writer and as somebody who's generally curious about these types of things. Uh, and I know Jerez, Jerez has always been a, such a big advocate for, uh, the New York city beer scene. I saw that he was, uh, posting a lot of pictures as he does on his beer, uh, beer with flavor Instagram account, um, in his trademark way. And so, uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of tell the story of the altogether project as seen through, you could say seen through his eyes, but really it's kind of seen through his hand. You know, if, if anybody's seen Jerez's uh, Instagram page, he po- posts pictures of, you know, various beer cans or bottles that, uh, that he wants to focus on, um, you know, with his hand kind of showing. So I wanted to tell the story of the altogether project. Um, it's such an amazing initiative through, through uh, Jerez's hand. Great. And uh, let's just say, so Basil at Finback, you guys have an altogether beer that I've had and really like. Just tell us how you guys got involved in it, why you decided to make that beer, and what's your local charity that you're supporting? Yeah, so, um, I mean, we got involved with it, I think, obviously, you know, other half being in New York, um, reached out, um, I think, pretty early on in, in terms of the project. And we were definitely really interested and, and of course, signed ourselves up. Um, you know, I think at the time we were all kind of searching for things that we could do um, to try to give back and to help. You know, I think that we thought the whole world changed so quickly and we were trying to figure out what we were doing. And we were just seeing the same things happening around us where, you know, different bars, different restaurants really impacted by this. Um, and then... <clears throat> When we could, we wanted to kind of um, figure out how to find ways to connect and help the community. And when other half kind of called and said that they were doing this, it was kind of a no brainer. We didn't have to think too hard about, uh, you know, our own project and, and we could just kind of jump right on. Um, so we, we brewed the beer. We thought it was a great idea and just bringing it together uh, through collaboration in terms of beer, but also just diverse communities, uh, beer communities, hospitality professionals around the world. Um, and so we brewed it and we kind of took a slightly different approach in terms of the, the charity. Um, we wanted to make as quick and direct uh, of, a, of a contribution as we could. So we actually just reached out to New York City um, bar and restaurant owners and uh, sent out a survey and any bars that responded that had a GoFundMe account, we essentially just divided the money amongst a, a bunch of GoFundMe uh, campaigns. Well, that's amazing. I mean, there's so many bar staff that are out of work. It's, it's really hard to pick. So you probably did it the right way. Um, let's go back to Jerez. Uh, Jerez, you've you, you got quite a story. I always like to hear about how people got involved in the industry. Just take us back a few years, you know, tell us some of the jobs you've had in the industry, how you ended up becoming GM at Other Half in New York City. My, uh, so Jerry's here. The pre- previous jobs I had basically start, I, I don't want to go that far back, but I'll go back into like the whole 
I worked at the Dream Hotel as a food and beverage manager, and um, and they closed down the restaurant that I was working for, which then in turn I moved into a pizzeria, a pizza joint called uh, Bruno's Pizza in New York City. Um, it was like a it's a really amazing pizzeria. Um, it, we try to focus on the non-tipping policy, but the the beverage program was was where um, we shined because we had all natural wines. But the beer program was always always on top of its game. We had basically like a straight line of Hill Farmstead every every week. We get like a fresh new keg of other half, and then we just had four four different draft lines and it was just the same like four different breweries like so it was other half on like with his own permanent line hudson valley grim and hill farmstead and then we just rotated that that point um so i i learned a new love for beer while working there and uh because you know i was i would typically just be drinking beer like like any regular joe snow and drink like you know Presidente Heineken's whatever, but then I started drinking uh, craft beer, like possibly like a year before working at Bruno, and just started loving loving everything about it. Um, then I took a, a turn into uh, wanting to learn more about ownership, so I went straight into the hotel business and uh, became director of um, of ops for. The hotel called Hotel Fifty Bowery on Bowery and Canal, and then learned a lot from that. And a good friend of mine, Anthony Finley, who works for Other Half, was like was talking about how Other Half is looking to expand, and I just like it's an idea sparked in my head to work for that company. I I think Anthony put in a good word with with Andrew. And then Andrew and I spoke for possibly like three months about this. And then like at one point, uh, this was right before Rochester was opening. So, so we spoke and then like long behold, I took a, I, I just quit my previous job and took like a month off of work. And he hired, he like hired me like the next week, which was amazing. He let me, he let me, uh, spend that whole month that I requested off and then I just started working for other half. And ever since then, it's been like amazing. It's a great company to work for. Um, they like, we're very innovative. We're like on top of our game and basically like one of the best breweries I could possibly like work for and, and love. Oh, we know bro. And I'm drinking the, the fresh can of forever ever that I got at, ABC Beer Co. last week. So, cheers to so, you guys. Um, that, that forever ever is with Rewaka Hops, bro. Just uh, just a heads up. <laughs> and I, I want to talk to you a little more because I know you're going to probably leave earlier than everyone else. Um, so, when you started your job as GM, you wear many hats. So, t tell us what the job was, and then how it how it's changed uh, since the you know the pandemic has happened. Uh, so basically, uh, I'm in charge of all front of house operations. Um, so Andrew Berman is, uh, like the chief, the CEO basically. 
but he's just COO, sorry. So he's like in charge of everything. But I'm like, you know, I basically, some might say I'm like his right hand man. But right now at the, like in the brewery, it went from me just being in charge of the tap room and like, and all those operations and also outside events, all events in-house, um, basically like, you know, it's like running a restaurant. That's how I looked at it. Uh, from that into um, most of my staff that that work for us, work sorry, most of the staff that work for us had to start working from home. Some of them had to quarantine. So basically, like, you know, like my job went from just running the tap room to like running this home delivery system, running a shipping company, running like it's it's just it's a whole new world right now and it's amazing well you've you've really done a great job let me just jump over to tim get him on tim um tell us about the altogether beer that you guys made you're at twin elephant in uh, chatham new jersey hey guys yeah uh tim here uh one of the co-owners over at uh twin elephant um so like, essentially when when the pandemic first hit we had so many uh local friends in the hospitality industry that just got, just got hit so hard. We were, we were looking for ways where we could help out, um, any, any way we could. And so like my, my partner, uh, one of my business partners and wife, um, uh, Cindy, she actually joined on with, um, a collective that started up like a nonprofit in New Jersey called, uh, Brewery Strong, you know, that just got set up to support, you know, folks in the, in the brewing industry and bar and restaurant industries to provide like programs for like financial assistance, continuing education, you know, professional development opportunities, um, and things like that. So, you know, we were, we were just looking for opportunities and when, you know, when other half put up the bat signal, like, of course, you know, of course we saw it and, um, you know, it was a great way for us to, you know, to jump in and, and another avenue for us to, to, you know, um, to do something that could contribute. So, um, you know, we, we jumped right on it, um, created, uh, created a good batch. We thought, um, dropped some cans, generated some good, um, some good revenue that we, uh, we kicked back to a couple different folks that we, uh, in the local community that we were close with that were struggling. So, uh, the first, uh, the first, uh, company we kicked down to was, um, a barbershop in uh, Union, New Jersey called Stash, Stash Barbershop. Good friends of ours. Obviously, those those types of businesses, um, you know, it's really tough for them during these times and will continue to be. Uh, so we wanted to help out there. And then a good good buddy of mine uh, owns a tattoo parlor called Working Class Tattoo in uh, Branchburg, New Jersey. Uh, and, you know, I feel I feel for those those folks in that industry because I think they're going to be one of the one of the last to come back because people are going to, going to be a little paranoid, you know, about, uh, about going in and getting a tattoo. So, uh, we, we donated some money to them to, to help, help them get through this time. And then also, uh, donated to that, uh, that nonprofit I mentioned before, uh, brewery strong. Tim, that's great. One. So you're not in New York city. How did you hear about the altogether beer project? Yeah, I mean, like other halves, branding and marketing game is, you know, <laughs> second to none. You know, it's hard, hard not to hear about that stuff. You know, uh, we follow those guys. Um, we're big fans. Uh, my brother actually's lived in uh, Red Hook for about ten years, so 
we've been drinking their beer since uh since day one they were they were a big inspiration for us uh, to get started so great hang tight so we're gonna go back to jerez um so jerez this is quite a project i mean you're learning on the fly and obviously you are a true hero and a big leader in the craft beer community so great work but how did you know how did you spread the word you know I, i've noticed that regional distributors have jumped in uh breweries in so many other other countries uh we saw that this brewery, uh, distributor up in New England called Vacation Land with John uh, was was talking about it. And also, how have, how have you gotten all these beers that you're taking photos of? Are people bringing you the beers? Are they shipping you copies of the beers? Because a big part of it is you're documenting so many of the altogether beers. So, uh, so it started off like, basically, we started off with a few breweries in the beginning. Uh, saying yes, because Sam reached out to a couple people and just said what he was doing. Uh, Sam is really good at like uh, at talking to other breweries and like you know letting them know what's going on. He did he so he did that, but then basically people started jumping on the project as we as we started posting more about it. We did the we did that big uh, we did a big live like a live toast and we had about like 400 uh breweries at that time and then after the live toast we went from 400 to 700 within like four days um and in regards to how i get the beer um i used to be a again i i love i actually do love beer myself which is like a big it's a big deal but i have these traders from like all over the world and I, I started off by letting, asking them, like, hey, listen, like, I know I haven't traded with you in a minute, but I think it's time to, I just started calling in all my favors from all over the place. So I use a lot of my favors to call, but then, uh, the, we use, uh, South Collective as a marketing, as a marketing agency, right? And they, they sent out a message out to all the breweries that we can't reach. Like, you know, there's breweries in, in Quebec that, you know, it's impossible for us to get that beer because they're so small. So we offered, like, you know, like, hey, like, you know, if you don't mind sending us a few cans, like, we would love to try try them. And, you know, we, we would compensate them with, like, the shipping fee or anything. I know it's, like, not legal, but but people would find a way to do it. And I think I'm up to... Personally, right now I have about 370 different cans. So, yeah, and it's getting overwhelming being able to take 370 pictures. I think Nico could attest to how many pictures you have to take for 370 cans. <laughs> it'd be it'd be more than uh, yeah, it'd be a little bit more than 360 for sure. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty crazy, but then like also posting it and. It's it's all time consuming, but honestly, like if you love what you do, like you know, like the time just flies by, and you could do whatever you want. Um, I feel that a lot of these brewers, like I got a lot of home brewers that I I posted a lot of the home brewers first because they they need more love than like I think they deserve more love than a big brewery like us or Trillion, just for just for the reason that these people are like taking their time, using their three-barrel system just to do this beer and, like, to donate the proceeds to 
to their like you know the the donation of their choice, the charity of their choice. It's like I feel that I started posting that, and I didn't think that it was gonna get that attention that I got. Um, just because I I called a friend up and I had him do that poster, or sorry, like it's like a vinyl a sign, and he he made that for me. And I just hung it up in the tap room, and I just been posting ever since. And now, you know, I I literally cannot keep up with how many cans I get a day. Wow, man, it's it's truly an incredible story. And uh, Nico, do you, do you want to ask Jerry's a question that you didn't ask him, or that you did ask in in your interview? Yeah, absolutely, Jerez, uh What would you say have been you know a few of the more notable? Uh, versions of altogether that you've had because I know you know the the recipe is open source but you're allowed to riff a little bit in terms of the hops like have you experienced or had any um, unique versions that that have stuck in your mind since you've you know you've had so many so far uh, yes I would say the the Hudson Valley one really really like uh, shocked me and not shocked me sorry because they do some some great beer. Um, but the Hudson Valley one was like, it's like a top, like a top almost. And just because it was different, it was like a sour IPA, but it was like their classic sour IPA. It was fucking, it was perfect. Sorry for cursing. I apologize. Um, the, the Mortalis one I just tried yesterday. Mortalis is up in, uh, in Lima and, uh, by Rochester. Sorry. So they're in the Rochester area as well. And they, they sent me some cans. I tried it this weekend and I gotta say, it's pretty, it's pretty epic. It's like, it, it has all this fruit. So it has seven different berries and a cherry inside, but you don't get like straight juice from it. You, you actually taste the beer, which is pretty good. Um, I, I personally love like some of my top favorites was the KCBC. That was one of the first ones I tried and it was like, honestly, one of my favorites. The Finback was really good as well. Um, Cerebro from Denver did a really good one. They, they stuck to the recipe, but um, something about it was different. There was uh, a small brewery called Bake Brewing down, I think it's like South Jersey. They did a really good one. And also Vitamin C uh, did a great one in, in Massachusetts. I, I think those are like the ones that I remember the most. Not saying that the other breweries did a bad job, but I one thing that I see from this project is that a lot of breweries are probably going to use the same recipe now for other beers or follow that recipe to make, like, you know, just to translate into making some good IPAs. I don't know. If, I don't think that sounds wrong. I think it's a great idea. I just feel like a lot of people are going to start doing that, which which is good for them, I guess. Jerez, uh, I have one more question. Do you think, you know, as the pandemic continu- continues, do you see more and more breweries continue to make this beer as, as the, you know, as regions and counties start to open up and go through different phases of reopening? Do you see breweries continue to make this beer and, you know, try to support their, you know, local hospitality communities? I... I do in the sense of like, cause some people are just starting to brew it now. 
Like they're just jumping on the project now and a lot of places are reopening already. Right? But but I see like like Mostra Coffee is out in San Diego. They they're like they were named Coffee Roaster of the Year and they just jumped on on the project. We just sent them the a label design for their for their bags. So they're doing the same thing. They're doing like a coffee brand and basically the proceeds from the coffee is going to go into the charity of their choice. And I just, like, when, when Mike from Mostra told me that, I'm like, I just could see a million other people doing it just because, just because if they do it, like, they're big leaders in the coffee world. Like, imagine all the other people, like, oh, I could jump on this project too. And then there's a winery as well. I forgot what the winery is exact, but they're doing something similar. Um, and I see the project going on for a long time. Well, it's unbelievable. And uh, it's going to bring us to our next subject, beer festivals. Um, so thanks so much, Jerez. If you have to go, you can, you can say goodbye now. Um, but you're also welcome to stay. Uh, I'll stick around and listen, especially I want to hear Basil talk. You know, I love Basil. <laughs> so it's funny because for so long, the last 10 years, it seemed like, and Basil's part of this, uh, when he was president of New York City Brewers Guild, it's you know building up beer festivals to fund to fund uh, brewers guilds and and other other you know activities, and it seems that this altogether project has kind of like done everything you'd want the best beer festival to do, and yet every brewery still gets to stay in its own town and benefit its town. Um, so I think it's pretty awesome. Basically, you, you want to carry us from altogether project. Uh, to beer festivals and any other thoughts you have? Sure. Um, I mean, I think I agree, uh, you know, to, to follow what you just said. I mean, I think that the altogether beer, you know, is something that is, I feel like, you know, you, you know, it's a good idea when it's something that everyone kind of has thought about wanting to do. And then it just takes someone to, to pull it all together. And I think What's really interesting to me about it is is obviously these are really surreal times, you know, where everyone is just going through lots of, you know, business, financial, personal, you know, changes. And I think um, putting all that aside for a moment, it's interesting for us to really start thinking about how connected we actually do feel um, and it's made us more aware of it and, and doing a beer like all together um, does that as well as just thinking about beer festivals, which is you know, for us, we were going to do a beer festival in, in Rhode Island. Uh, we, we've postponed it. We, we don't know what's going to happen even, you know, in August or late August uh, at the postponement date. But it's kind of forcing us to think about how we find ways, create events uh, to stay connected, even though we're kind of living in these really kind of crazy times. Um, so I think that's the kind of beauty of the, of the beer community is that we all, I feel like everyone who's in it is is in it because of a deep passion for, for the product, but also for the community. And I think it's kind of forced all of us to find ways of staying connected and, 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 and hanging out and being together, but in these kind of new, innovative ways. Great. Um, let's bring on Kate from Bacon and Beer Classic just for a minute. Kate, give us a little overview of your event. And then we'll take a short break after that. Sure. Um, hi, guys. So the Bacon and Beer Classic has been in existence for this is our seventh year, um, which we're really proud of. We take over stadiums all over the country and host um, about 50 breweries and 
about 50 local restaurants that all serve up bacon dishes. Um, we have a lot of collaborations between breweries and the restaurants, whether it's bacon brined beer or beer brined bacon. Um, and it's just a really nice gluttonous day for people to walk around, explore new flavors, um, figure out what they like and where they can get it locally um, and enjoy the, the stadium for the day. So yeah, this would have been our seventh year or is our seventh year, but obviously it's going to look a little bit different than it has in years past. Great. So we're going to take a short back. When we come back, we'll keep talking about beer festivals and, and other things going on uh, on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or a small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers, no matter where they are. Learn more at square.com slash go slash beer sessions. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special episode in May 2020. We're talking about the All Together Beer Project and beer festivals and a lot of changes in the industry because of the pandemic. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. Become a sponsor or a supporter at heritageradionetwork.org. So we're talking right now with Basil Lee of Finback and Kate Lowenson of the Bacon and Beer Classic. So, Kate, um, just tell us how you guys started the Bacon and Beer Classic. You've taken it around the country, and right now, one reason you're on the show is you wanted to talk about the impact of the pandemic on beer festivals. Correct, yeah. I mean, so we, I started because we, we had been doing Bacon and Beer dinners um, on a very micro level. Um, I was based in Chicago at the time, so I was hosting Bacon and Beer dinners in Chicago, and um, people were obviously as interested in the beer as they were the bacon. And beer festivals were taking off. Um, this was back in like 2010, 2011. And I thought that adding in the culinary component um, really differentiated it and added even more flavors. Um, 
an opportunity for collaboration. So, so we decided to rent out um, both Mariners, the Mariner Stadium at Safeco Field in Seattle and City Field in New York, uh, our first year in 2014. And we hosted our first bacon and beer classic uh, to about 10,000 people in each market, which was a big undertaking, obviously. And we we grew to about 12 markets across the country. Um, obviously, it's, you know, it's taken on new shape and new form this year. Um, the event industry is feeling incredibly um, hurt and... Um, yeah, so, so Kate, just tell us more, more specifics. So you're obviously a bigger operation based around this festival. Correct. What's going on with you? What are your plans? What do you foresee? Yeah, I think... Because we know now, you know, now we know everything's been shut down. What's going to happen in the fall? What's going to happen in 2021? Yeah, I think we're getting back to that initial model of like thinking a little bit more bespoke, thinking a little bit more intimate. Um, more of like a hub and spoke model where you could have a bunch of different events happening around the country at the same time that are very small and socially distanced, but allow, you know, having this central hub, bringing everybody together, making it seem like we're all in this together and, and having a good time together and sharing beer together. Um, obviously I've seen a bunch of amazing breweries and, uh, an industry, you know, event industry partners around the country doing a dropship model and hosting online um, beer festivals. And it's a hard, you know, I, I give them a lot of credit because it is a hard model to pull off financially and also from like a, a virtual um, energy level way. Um, I'm excited to see more breweries and event partners doing that. I've seen a couple in Portland, Oregon and Washington State and also in Minnesota, uh, the Craft Brewers Guild there uh, hosted too, I think at this point. So it's really interesting to see how brands are pivoting and, and event industries is just changing. I think, you know, until there is a, you know, a vaccine or something, some way of, of gathering in larger, just of lar gathering in larger numbers, it's not going to look the same. And I, I don't expect that to happen until maybe the middle of next year, but who knows at that point. Um, so right now we're thinking of getting back to the basics and thinking a little bit more micro. Yeah, so no one's quite sure. I was on a call with the, the Ticket Tailor, one of the event sites, and the same thing where they have London-based and, and USA-based event people, and half the people said, well, we, we hope things start up in September, but everyone else said, but if they don't, it would be 2021. And that, Now, Basil, let's go to you. So just in time for COVID, um, Finback is, is opening a new brewery and tap room in Brooklyn, Tell us about how this pandemic has impacted that and, and is going to, your, your plans may have to adapt this next year. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say we, in, in some ways, we were a little bit lucky. Um, we thought we were going to open last fall. Um, we had a lot of delays and then we thought we were going to open around February, March. Um, we were really close, but we ended up being just delayed enough that that COVID hit and we never uh, actually opened. Um, we're doing to-go can sales now, but we never really opened the tap room. Um, and I think that was uh, kind of worked out for us because it, it would have been terrible if we opened, you know, a few weeks before COVID and had to shut down. So I think it gave us a lot more time to, in a way, 
prepare and think about what it means to open that tap room now going forward. Um, you know, and I think that one thing that we've we wanted to do with that space is that we um, we have a five barrel brew house, but really it it focuses on the tap room experience uh, and creating a bigger tap room. And so I, I think we're going to have a little bit of flexibility um, in terms of capacity controls. You know, we're thinking potentially, you know, for for a period of time, maybe just doing reservation only, uh, really kind of curate the experience um, a little differently. Um, I think our first priority is to keep everyone safe. You know, we want to keep the people visiting us safe as well as our staff safe. Um, you know, we're definitely itching to get people uh, there and hanging out where we can uh, spend time together in, in person, but we want to make sure we're, we're doing it in a thoughtful way. Um, and I think uh, in some ways being being closed during this time is giving us some time to think about it. I think it's still a complicated thing and we don't have all the answers, but you know, seeing how certain other states are reopening and what's working is really going to inform how we open in hopefully in a, in a month and a half or, or two. I'll tell you, it's amazing just seeing how people are innovating, like what Jerez is doing at other half and, you know, curbside pickup and everything. Um, I think sometimes it's good for an industry to have this like, you know, relearning and, and, and innovative time. So it might be, in the long run, it might be better for everybody. I hate to say that, but often it's true. So you guys at the new place in Brooklyn, you're talking about having coffee roaster and a distillery as well. A- any thoughts about how those could operate um, with like lesser capacity or anything? Yeah, I think, I think we've, you know, it, it, I think it's actually been really wonderful to see how the community has pivoted in terms of whether it's direct consumer sales, shipping, delivery, people coming to the tap room. And I and I feel like the 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 craft beer drinker and actually not just the craft beer drinker, just people in general have really I think become more aware about this industry and supporting this industry and, and, and buying local and supporting small businesses. And so I think that's like a really wonderful uh, kind of development that's happened because of all this. Um, so our concept for Brooklyn was that we wanted to make um, a little beverage lab. So we are roasting coffee. We we use a lot of coffee in our beers and stouts anyways. So we wanted to really uh, learn more about that, do more of that and have that in-house uh, as well as distilling. You know, a lot of our beers are kind of ingredient driven. We've always thought of our beers as, as kind of uh, fun, culinarily driven, flavor driven uh, kind of things. And so we're going to do gin, which I think is a platform for that as well. It's kind of botanicals and and thinking about flavor and combining things. Um, and so we're super excited about that. And the last thing we're doing is actually dumpling. So it's a bit of everything. It's a little schizophrenic, um, but I think it'll help us in terms of it'll give a lot of different experiences for people. So, you know, you may be more interested in one or the other thing, but if you can come in, hopefully we can kind of, uh, turn you on to something else and 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 that's the kind of idea for that space well i was reading about the dumpling so i'll be your first dumpling customer (laughs) (laughs) um let's go back to to, to kate um you know i know the big picture i know you have a lot to to talk about but i'd really like to talk about state by state now we know that different states are opening different ways it seems that somewhere like florida for example is going to let everything happen um Tell us about a couple of the states that your your bacon and beer classic is in, and a few specifics of, of how you may operate. We we know everyone's going to be safe, 
I just I'm pretty aware that many people want to get back to normal. So which states are going to open first? And you know, give us a little more insight into what you're really doing. Yeah, I think so. We um, we are coming up with a, a new concept, so it's in di- different venues um, that will allow us to be even more spread out. I know that it seems like a stadium would give us enough of that space, but we are looking at spaces that are even uh, that don't have you know narrow concourses, and and we can really spread out. So even if that's the field of the of the stadiums, um, as opposed to the concourses, we're just looking at bigger spaces. That's one, and keeping it outdoors is number two. Um, in terms of different markets and cities that we're looking in and states that we're looking at, it's an interesting predicament because we're looking at states that are currently open, thinking we should go there first, but then are they going to see a spike and then have to shut down? Or would they not even shut down if there was a spike? Would our partners and would we feel comfortable going there um, if it wasn't a safe place to go to? So it's really hard to navigate and figure out when and where to go. Um, I know that we're, we're not thinking about anything before August at all, um, even in that small model. But we are, you know, our events are in Minneapolis and Seattle and New York. And these places still, for the most part, pretty shut down. Um, San Jose was the first market to close and the first county to close the country. And that was where our first event was going to be held in April on the 4th. Of April. So that was our first, you know, um, that was the, that was the canary in the coal mine. We were like, uh Oh, this is all, this is all about to change. Um, they're still closed down. So you really have to assess new markets and whether that's, you know, Phoenix and Texas, like Texas, we're thinking of Dallas and Austin, maybe Tampa, um, Indianapolis, Kansas city markets that seem a little bit smaller, a little bit safer, um, and even looking at subur- suburbs outside of the major cities, whether that's even, you know, New Jersey, um, the suburbs of New York or Long Island of New York, um, outside of Boston. So that's kind of what we're, you know, we're looking at Napa too. Like Napa is so interesting. It's not that far from San Francisco. And people, I think at this point would drive just to be outside and enjoying themselves. Um, and they have very few cases. Um, so it feels like we're looking at it county by county and what their cases have been and what it's projected to be with the reopening. How about sponsors? I know sponsors are a big part of festivals. Um, are they all are they all just shut down right now in terms of funding? Are they interested in doing things in the future? Yeah, they are. Like liquor sponsors? Or- they are. Yeah, they are. Um, I think it has to be the right opportunity. So that's what we've been walking them through. Um, they're all wanting to support you know, us, they, they understand that it's a tough time to be in the event space. Um, and, you know, I think they're open to it as long as it's a very safe uh, opportunity. And so as long as we can prove that, plus we have operational, you know, manuals that we're creating that we have to get approved by the counties, the health departments. And um, we're thinking about porta potties more than I want to be thinking about porta potties. So, and, that would all work um, and what would be approved and what would be safe. So it's very funny. I, I started this um, community of, of uh, event organizers called Clio, which is the co- coalition of live event organizers. And just to collaborate and it's, it's small and intimate because I wanted to create a safe space for people to be um, talking to one another um, about what keeps them up at night and best practices and maybe even some collaborations. Um, 
So what's come of that is a lot of porta potty conversation. <laughs> Have you heard about someone was talking about for face masks there should be little holes so you can put a straw yep. and drink out of your <laughs> our new merch item of twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. And and back to Nico. So Nico, um do you have a, a question for Basil or Kate about events or opening tap rooms? I'm sure you do. Um I actually have a question for Tim. You know, I wanted to hear a little bit more about how, you know, the community that uh, Twin Elephant is in, you know, where, where they're at in terms of, you know, reopening and, and what, what they're looking at in in the months ahead, as far as, you know, kind of returning to some sense of normalcy or whatever the new normal is going to be. Yeah. Um, it's a good question, Nico. Um, something obviously we're all thinking about more, more than we want to. I mean, our community, they, they've been super supportive. I think like a lot of a lot of other folks, uh, communities, and they're willing to ride it out with, with us. Right. So, you know, we're, we're not going to be the first brewery to open back up once they say it's okay. It's just not, not something, you know, we feel comfortable doing. We want to see sort of like, let some people kind of get out there, do their thing, see what's working, see what's not working. You know, um, we think our community will continue su- to support us with uh, curbside. So we we were lucky um, in the beginning of this year. We implemented uh, like our e-commerce store just for the merch side of the business, and it was just like pretty much ready to go. At like when we had to flip our business model on its head and go because we we were we built um, a tap room basically uh, for for our community to gather and experience each other's company over some good suds, you know, like that's what we set out to do. And now we're in a situation where we can't do that, which, you know, hurts the soul every time I walk out of the tap room at night, but we were able to pivot to just package, you know, packaging all our beer, crowler and can, and basically selling, you know, the communities buying it all curbside. So we didn't have a big distro business before, yeah, we basically had little to none. We were destroying, self-destroying a handful of kegs before all this happened. So, you know, we were 98, 99% um, revenue driven through the tap room. So we literally had to flip that entirely and just do, uh, you know, pre-sale can releases online and some crowler releases here and there. So I think, you know, we're lucky we have an outdoor area that we built last year. That if we do come back, they're they're talking about New Jersey. New Jersey is a lot stricter than New York, as I'm sure you all know. But they're talking about extending the premises uh, outside of what you have legally permitted to serve in, and also allowing for pouring beer outside. Which currently we have a uh, an outdoor beer garden that we're not legally allowed to pour beer in. You have to pour beer inside and then take it outside. So we'll we'll see where it goes. But we feel comfortable. The community's got our back. We'll ride it through. That's great, Tim. Nico, you got another question before we close out? Uh, what's everyone drinking? A <laughs> good one. <laughs> well, well, I have the other half forever, ever. What do you have, Nico? Uh, I have the sixth anniversary IPA from Finback, appropriately titled Six Year. And it's, uh, it's delicious. It's a delicious triple IPA. Has everything I want in a triple IPA and offers what I feel like not enough triple IPAs offer, which is a, a high level of drinkability. 
Wow. Basil, what are you drinking? I am I'm drinking one of our beers, a Finback. It's um Archipelago Breeze. So it's a uh Pilsner with the touch of apricot and lemon. You know, on that note, uh, uh, anyways, everyone else, Tim and Kate, what are you guys drinking if you're drinking? Go ahead, Kate. I'm drinking. I, I'm up in almost in Vermont, so I'm drinking a beer, um, Ten Ben's beer. Uh, it's Luminous Series Number Five. It's an IPA. It's super delicious. It has a really great citrus um, taste to it. So I'm enjoying my time in up up near Burlington. Wow, that's awesome, Tim. Yeah. So on uh, on Saturday, um, I, I feel the need to like get in the car and drive every weekend somewhere to clear my head. So I've just been going, dropping beer at other breweries and picking stuff up. So I went to go see Johnny at uh, District Ninety Six and picked up their their recent virtual collab with with EQ called uh, Stimulus Package. It's a dip, uh, Vic Secret Forward, which is one of my favorite hops. Um, you know, so I'm digging it for sure. Great. Jared, are you on? Do you have a beer? Yeah, I'm drinking the the Barrier altogether. Pretty good. Bobby brought it himself. And um, yeah, I've been crushing I've been crushing those 6.5%, you know. Nice. This. Man, that that is great. This altogether project really it, it it's made me smile and when I saw Nico's article in Good Beer Hunting featuring you, um, I'm 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 doing my best. I'm I'm not a beer hunter. You know, I, I feel like I get a lot of beers, but I'm really enjoying keeping up with this with this project. And I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of legs for this, and it's going to keep going. And I just want to say, Kate, and thank you so much for joining us and talking about those festivals. You, you never think about how many things you have to think about, whether it's safety or the health departments. Um, I'm, I'm rooting for you. I, I, I know people want to do things, and I'll look to you guys as a leader to, to, to see how people should be doing events. And... Um, Thanks, everybody else, Basil and Tim and, and Nico, for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. Big shout-out to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, who's helped organize the show and, and will edit it down, and uh, master engineer uh, Matt Patterson at Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Cheers, Cheers. Cheers. everyone. Thanks, Jimmy. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Cinecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.